Welcome to the Free Music Ed Podcast. My name's Steven. My name is Gannon. And today we have a special guest uh, all the way from Belgium. Wow, it's pretty exciting. Uh, today we have Thomas Bonte from uh, MuseScore. He's the CEO of MuseScore. Hello, Thomas. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're incredibly excited. Now, since I butchered the pronunciation of your name, would you like to tell everybody who you are and a little bit about what's going on at MuseScore right now? All right. So my full name is uh, Thomas Bonte. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the people behind MuseScore. So for those who don't know what MuseScore is, MuseScore is uh, notation software for all platforms, so Windows, Mac, Linux, and people use it to make sheet music. And so, as I said, I'm one of the people behind it because it's an open source project. And as that happens with all uh, open source projects, it grows uh, and many people are involved. And so, yeah, it's, it's bigger than just one person. Uh, that's it. Yes. Uh, well, I have to tell you that I personally am a huge fan of MuseScore. Two years while I was teaching, I used MuseScore only for all the things that I did in my classroom for making exercises and uh, and for teaching my kids about music notation. So I really think that it's a wonderful piece of software. Great. Great to hear that. Uh, what do you do specifically for the company and um, what got you... I don't know. Tell us about your background, like who you are, what got you into music to begin with, where you kind of came from coming into this whole thing. All right. Um, so I'm a piano player and I started uh, learning piano uh, or reading notes, if you will, at the age of seven or eight. can't recall, actually. And here in Belgium, we have a very good uh, cooling or music schooling system. Uh, it's, it's mostly public school, uh, very well subsidized as well. And so a lot of uh, people start off uh, in, in that uh, schooling system, learning to read notes. And then you pick your instrument. So after one year of, of, of learning music theory and notes, you pick your instrument. I, I picked a piano for the simple reason that my parents had a piano at home. That was it. And so, yeah, I started off uh, doing more of the, the classical stuff. Like uh, you start with Bach and, and, and eventually I started to, to play Chopin and so forth. Now, I must say at a certain point when I was a bit uh, like 11 or 12, I really wanted to start playing the stuff that I heard on the radio. So uh, with the little money that I I got, I, I went to the store and I, I bought uh, sheet music there. Now, I must say uh, that was kind of a surprising experience to me because I thought, okay, I buy some sheet music, I go back home, I put it on to my piano. So when I bought the book, I figured out that uh, I had bought a PVG score, a piano voice guitar score. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, it's basically you have the chords uh, in, in the piano parts, then you have the melody in the voice part, and uh, of course you have the guitar uh, fretboards on top of it, or the chord names. But I wanted to have the melody arranged nicely in my piano parts, and that wasn't the case. So I figured out quite early that uh, I, I bought something that wasn't fit to my needs and so at a very early age I saw that this industry didn't fit my my own needs and it was a case for a lot of lot of people uh, my friends and later on the people that I met on, on the internet and so forth so that was kind of the the root uh, reason I guess why I'm so why I put so much energy in, in MuseScore because it, it, it gives people software so they can make their own sheet music or ask someone to make the sheet music they want. 
And so by doing that, you're kind of circumventing the, the problems that were currently there in the, in the sheet music industry. Because eventually after the, those years, I learned that that industry kind of consolidated on this one-size-fits-all piece of sheet music, meaning the PVG. It's, uh, it's underserving the, the specific needs for, for musicians, because not everyone is at the same level. Some people, I, based on, on the instrument you play, you want to be different. You want it to be arranged in a more jazzy style or real classical or I don't know. Uh, so the, sh the, the musician market is a, a market of 1,000 niches. And the sheet music market didn't really make it work well for them. It's, it's totally different from the recording industry, for instance. If we would listen to the same song, well, it, it, we, we just pick a recording and I pass it on to you and you will, you will listen to it in the same way as I do. But that's different for sheet music if you really want to play something. Meaning I play on a different skill, I have a different instrument, I have different ways of playing something. And that's different for, for you. So, so yeah, it's... Uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling on here. <laughs> that's, that's okay. No, you're talking, you're talking truth, sir. Uh, you, you made me think about my students. You know, I, I teach band, and I've got students of an enormous different degrees of trans, transposition. You know, they all play, uh, you know, a B flat clarinet or uh, a French horn or a saxophone, and they want to play what they're hearing on the radio. They want to play Taylor Swift, or they want to play uh, just whatever they're hearing. And you can't buy a piece of music for clarinet for those particular things, not easily. And the, what they're doing is they're going and they're finding them online where someone's either taken and written it or where they've created a file that they can transpose. And then they're learning to play it like that. And whenever I was in band not that long ago as a kid, I couldn't do any of that. I would have to learn to play it by ear, which had its merits, but I could never find sheet music for what I wanted to play. Well, later on, I, uh, I learned that the marketing term for that was the long tail meaning a lot of people are looking for that long tail uh, sheet music and it's not there because that industry being paper at least for now uh, they they had to really concentrate on the best sellers only and of course there's only limited shelf space and so they had to pick only a few songs to to sell sheet music for and so it, the market is really underserved and I guess that's the main root reason why, why, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really keen on developing MuseScore uh, to empower people with that software to make their own solution. Yeah, and you know, me having worked on the other side um, in the music business, I know that it costs stores a lot of money to keep a decent amount of sheet music in stock. Because, like you said, everybody's going to want something different. You know, it's the land of a thousand niches. And uh, <laughs> a store, to have a good selection of sheet music, is going to have to put in a lot of money that's going to sit still for a very long amount of time. And these days, it's just not marketable to keep a huge stock of sheet music. Sheet music companies are hurting left and right here in America. They're really starving for money. And they're the people who provide the sheet music. It's in, you know, with the way that things are changing with the Internet and open source software like this and um, people actually putting out their own notations, it's may turn out to be a thing of the past, I think. Yes, well, um, eventually what is due to happen is that there will be a shift in the, in the, in the business model of sheet music. Uh, so for centuries now, sheet music has been made by someone or a company, uh, then put through the value chain up to the hands in the hands of the consumer. And so that value chain 
well, uh, it had its limits already uh, due to paper. And now it's under, under, under big stress because of internet and because of sharing. Um, and it's the same thing for, for just the recording uh, industry as well. And we see shift there in terms of the business model. Uh, people don't buy, but people pay for access, for instance. Ch check out Spotify, check out RDO and so forth. And uh, the same kind of shift is, uh, is due to happen for sheet music. And uh, it's only starting now because what happened for uh, the recording with the, uh, with the advent of the, uh, of the MP3 player is just now happening with uh, the advent of the, uh, of the tablet. Um, so the more people will uh, adopt the tablet, uh, the more likely we might see that tipping point where suddenly much more uh, people or musicians looking for sheet music will start looking for sheet music for the tablet and not so much anymore looking for paper sheet music. And uh, when that happens, when that tipping moment happens, then uh, that new business model might kick in. So I see a very good future for sheet music, actually, because uh, the, uh, the possibilities that become available with the tablets are, are so much more interesting. I mean, uh, first of all, you can listen to the sheet music already. I mean, something with paper. I'm not so, not so good at reading sheet music, actually. Um, so if sheet music could sound for me, it's, it's just a tremendous advantage because I, that way it can speak to me uh, at least. And so digital sheet music could, could do this already. And then second, of course, since there's a microphone, it could listen to you and it could give you feedback on how well you're playing or, or it could just follow you so you don't have to turn pages anymore, but just follow your performance and so forth and so forth. So the possibilities are kind of endless. Uh, not endless, of course, but uh, we'll, we'll, we're just at the start trying to grasp the new kind of possibilities and I actually I heard uh, one of your previous podcasts uh, with the uh, the founder of um, Joytunes with their brilliant apps uh, where you could uh, start learning to play the recorder or the piano well that's just a one terrific example of uh, how this uh, this shift to tablets or just in general mobile devices can mean a new kind of wave of innovation for musical learners and and to uh, to take down the barrier to learn to read sheet music because sheet music will remain important uh, it's it's the thing that the teacher is passing on to students uh, i'm not a teacher myself but i'm still studying actually so i'm, I'm right now studying a uh, jazz uh, piano sheet music is the way that my teacher is speaking to me so so it will stay here for a very long time uh, and now with with the tablets it's uh, it has a very good future i think it's just it will be different from the past and that's something of course that well it it gives some uncertainty in the market yeah you have to to adapt i guess and uh, and to see through the new trends and where things might evolve into and and try to catch that wave and that's perhaps a a message to uh, yeah the 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 music publishers the sheet music publishers right now uh, in place yeah they will have to uh, to be innovative themselves to uh, to catch that wave, I, I assume. We have a phrase in America that we like to use called "you hit the nail on the head." That's exactly what you're doing. It, uh, it's you're you're speaking the truth. This is what's happening right now. I would like to uh, ask you a few different questions. First of all, how did you get started with MuseScore? The only person who can actually really answer this is uh, the lead developer of MuseScore. That's uh, Werner Schwer, and he's from Germany. And he started MuseScore in 2002. 
and actually it was sort of a spin-off project because he was at a time working at uh, or on the Muse sequencer and that's also an open source project and uh, so people were asking could you also add uh, the notation parts to the sequencer and so he started working on something uh, but eventually he uh, he figured out it would be better to just spin off the project and start something standalone and so he named it MuseCore in 2002 and basically he used it for himself uh, for the beginning at least because he's a piano player and he likes to compose uh, meaning just randomly play and then uh, he records that and then he wanted to notate that to make sheet music out of it so he was really scratching his own itch uh, if you see in, in, in open source terms and of course the code was out there so people could just join and, and, and help him uh, developing the code uh, but he wasn't really concerned into growing the project he was mainly doing it for himself uh, until myself and a friend of me from, from France uh, Nicolas Froma found out about uh, this, this project we were actually looking uh, for a notation editor an open source notation editor we teamed up with Wenner um, and the first thing we actually did we installed a a website, a proper website for the project and uh, that was kind of my thing meaning I wanted really to develop a community around MuseCore and then the thing Nicola was working on at that point was trying to port this nice Linux program but it was only on Linux to port it to Windows as well as Mac and that took like yeah, almost, almost two years to uh, eventually also make a, a, a Mac package so from there on uh, as soon as we had our own proper home at musco.org, as well as musco running on all, all platforms, uh, things started to take off. Uh, so that's a bit of the history of musco. Which I definitely appreciate you're developing it for the Mac, because that's what I use. And I have it on my Mac. I've had it for several years. Um, so you just you saw it on the internet, I guess, and just thought, man, I really got to get hooked up with this guy. Um, yes, so that was back in 2006 that Nicola and I were, were, uh, were looking for open source notation uh, editor. Uh, the main reason actually was we were kind of inspired what was happening around that time with, for instance, Wikipedia. Uh, so Wikipedia, this mass of people working on the, on the, on the human knowledge, trying to open it for everyone. We wanted to, to make something similar for sheet music. And so what the main reason was why Wikipedia took off was that it was open source distribution. So everyone could help to improve this website. And uh, we understood that we, if we wanted to, to reach the same goal for sheet music, uh, we also needed some open source software that would just spread itself around the world. And so that people would eventually work together to notate uh, new songs, but also to transcribe uh, existing songs, songs that were already in public domain, and try to make that available for everyone. So that was kind of our initial reason why uh, we were looking for this open source notation editor, and so Wander uh, was already working on it for several years. He was really dedicated, so for us that was a good sign. I mean, from there on it just uh, started to take off. So uh, yeah, very happy it worked out eventually. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, no, that's really exciting. Uh, what I was thinking was uh, there's, you know, not a lot of music notation software in general available. The big ones are Finale and Sibelius, the big commercial products. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, of course, they're fairly expensive to the average user. Even the student editions can't, I mean, it'll cost kids a few hundred dollars to use these programs. And so one of the big advantages to people using MuseScore is that uh, it is open source and you can download it and install it for free and use it for whatever you want. What are some other big advantages that you can think of? Above all, because it's free. People are able to take the uh, the package and then distribute it uh, among their friends or students or whoever you want to share it with. So that's the let's say the the, the first reason why yeah MuseScore is uh, spreading around the world. So free as in you don't have to pay for it, but also free as in it's open source. And so that's probably the main reason that we could get help from people all over the world to make a software package that can eventually, and we are not there yet, but can eventually grow to be a very high quality notation editor for all types of people. I mean, up to composers who really want to do serious stuff. So that's kind of the the core thing. And then second, from the start, I guess, Werner has been always taking a lot of care of the, the typesetting quality. There were a lot of packages out there already, also commercial ones, that uh, if you looked at the sheet music, it really looked bad. And so to uh, to get a very high typesetting quality, he kind of borrowed the uh, the font that was already made for an other open source notation software package, that's Lilipond. And uh, Lilipond, uh, those people behind it, they created a very nice uh, font, the, the Feta font or Emmetaler font. And we borrowed it. Uh, I mean, that happens in open source. You take something from, some, from another uh, project and you embed it in, into your own project. The typesetting quality was like yeah, a very uh, important thing for Wenner. And people also acknowledged that. They saw that often if something is free, you would say ah, it's not very high quality. But in this case, we heard it from the, the very early users from the start that they were blown away by, by the sheet music quality. And that was a, a very important thing. And then, of course that it was really easy to use. So it's a full-blown WYSIWYG editor. So what you see is what you get, fully working in drag and drop. So you, you can use the mouse, you can also use your keyboard, also, also your MIDI keyboard. And people perceive that as being very, very simple to use. And uh, yeah, those three are the main drivers, I guess. It's free, it's easy to use, and the output is very nice to look at. But then, of course, there are some more kind of... Uh, let's say, uh, are there good things about it, meaning it's multi-platform, uh, so it runs on all platforms, and that's something that we differentiate from commercial packages that only often run on uh, Mac or Windows and no Linux distributions. Then another thing is it's translated in 45 languages, so our users or anyone who speaks a certain language and who wants to see MuseScore translated in his language can help us out. We just simply plug in this new language and he can help himself just by translating everything and hop, voila, we got a new language in there. And it's a very important thing because we've seen, for instance, for commercial packages, they only translate their software for, let's say, those regions in the world where, we, where they really have sales channels. For instance, Brazil or something, uh, that wouldn't be put a lot of focus on. While, for instance, for, for us, Brazil, due to the fact everything is translated in, in Brazilian Portuguese, it's in our top 10 of uh, the biggest markets where MuseScore is being used. Yeah, that's really neat. You know, the, the product that you guys put out uh, is really fantastic, man. It looks good. It's clean. It's easy to use. I imagine it's not just you three guys doing this anymore. How many people do you have working with your company now? Uh, so we are three. 
so that's myself, Werner and Nicola. And so recently, and recently is like in 2011, we formed a company. So we worked like for five years together with each other, just uh, in an informal way, if you will. And so because MuseCore was growing so rapidly, we figured that there was some kind of a need to really have a, a source of revenue, so a business model behind MuseCore, because sometimes it's it's often forgotten, but open source just doesn't exist by itself or just doesn't grow by itself. In our case, we, we started to uh, to get a lot of users, and for each upgrade, those users expect that the software should be as stable as the last version or even more stable, and and that's a very simple thing, if you will, uh, that they expect. Uh, but in order to make sure that it's really there, we had to install testing servers. We had to just step up, engage full-time in our, in our case. And so full-time means all-in. <laughs> all our time goes into MuseCore. And uh, and on that level, we also needed uh, some way to get revenue in, in order to sustain ourselves and, and, and grow MuseCore. Uh, and so in 2011, uh, we started this company. And our idea was to keep MuseCore as it is, meaning it's open source desktop software, but plug a commercial service to it. First of all, a cloud service where people could upload their sheet music and share it with others, uh, similar as you have Flickr for pictures or SoundCloud for audio, something for uh, sheet music. And that we launched on uh, MuseCore.com, so a sister website for MuseCore.org. And then, obviously, I mean, with the mobile revolution going on, people also uh, want their sheet music with them all the time, so on the tablets or smartphones. So that's another component we are currently working on. And so with the, with this business model in place, uh, we can make sure that the, the company can grow and that also the future of MuseCore is uh, secured and that we can further develop the software and keep it free for everyone. What can you talk about um, specifically that's going to start happening with the 2.0 release? So uh, this year, we want 2.0 to be released. <laughs> that's the thing that I can say already. When? I can't tell you. <laughs> but what I do know is that we are racing towards a uh, first alpha version at this moment. The thing that is uh, keeping us off right now, it's the same as what kept us uh, going for the past two years now already that we're working on 2.0. And that's mainly the, the core part. With, with 2.0, we wanted to extend the possibilities beyond just uh, the sheet music that we have right now. We wanted to add tablature, and we wanted to add uh, link part editing. And so by broadening the uh, the possibilities, we also had to broaden the, the format itself, the musical format. And uh, that took a lot of time to rethink how this format should should be should I, be improved. But so I think we uh, we pretty nailed it now, and. Uh, it's just a matter of weeks now uh, before we can we can settle down, kind of uh, do feature freeze, and uh, and from there there on uh, release the, the alpha uh, versions, then to beta, and then a release candidate and 2.0. So having said this, we wanted to reach out to, to more musicians. So at one side, the the guitar players who do guitar uh, tablature notation. And then on the other side, the more high-end, if you want, uh, meaning people who uh, notate for orchestra or for bands who really want to leverage that link part editing so it becomes 
more easy to uh, to really create a, a big orchestral score. And so uh, having set this, Musical to the Do will be about uh, reaching out to more musicians and also there will be a lot of new features uh, on board. And if anyone would like to help us, because uh, the more people we, we get and, and take the the current uh, code and help us testing, the faster it will it will go. So if anyone is interested, check out the nightly builds on musical.org. So nightly builds means that we build the software uh, every every day, if you will, with the new features on board and so forth. And so download that nightly build, um, do your stuff in MuseScore, and if you hit the problem and it crashes or something happens, report it back in our issue tracker on, on musical.org. And then uh, we can get it solved. And the more people do this, the faster it will go. Um, so everybody is welcome to help us out. That's beautiful. That's another part of the advantages is that you really get to be a part of the community and help make the program even better. Yeah, indeed. That's uh, that's something sometimes is not understood very well, but I guess it's it's normal. I mean, people, first of all, are looking for software that really works, that they can use. And then they bump into a problem, and then we tell them, "All right, I mean, you can report this problem on our on our forum or issue tracker." And then they see that people are really engaging, and then they find themselves being sucked into this community because uh, they can actually contribute. And uh, eventually, we got a lot of people right now in our contributor community who who just started out uh, posting one feature request or one problem they hit with MuseScore. And now they are contributing to MuseScore in various ways. And that's just uh, superb to see how, how these people can grow into, into MuseScore. And that's something that you, you don't see with commercial software. There you have kind of that wall, that barrier in between the con consumers and, and the developers. In our case, it's kind of, yeah, very organically. And uh, there is no, no kind of wall. It's just very natural uh, it's it's just great to see this uh, this energy happening on on uh, in our contributor community we we are right now around 300 people strong something like that uh, i would say a couple of 20 coders a lot of people also on the documentation side uh, and then a lot of translators obviously and so it's 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 been a tremendous ride since uh, since we started actually and so in 2008 we released musco.org and, uh, and making this home for this contributor community, it's, it really started to grow well, and uh, and that's uh, yeah, it's 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 been it's been nice to uh, to see that happen. Um, I'm I'm very grateful for that actually. So yeah, I know this thing is really hard to track, but how many users do you think there are from Uscore right now? It is indeed hard to track. But what we can track, however, are the number of downloads. Uscore is hosted at a third-party server from SourceForge, and they have. Uh, download statistics and currently we do around between five and six thousand downloads per day uh, for instance the last version uh, musescore 1.2 was available for almost uh, yeah almost one year and it was downloaded more than half a million uh, 1.5 million times so we would say we have yeah i don't know it's hard to say perhaps a million active users something like that because also there are for instance schools that uh, take uh, MuseScore and then install it on several computers. For instance, in Australia, we had one time, uh, there was a, a government campaign to deliver a quarter of a million netbooks uh, to students and MuseScore was pre-installed on those netbooks. 
and so obviously that helped us to uh, to promote MuseScore uh, to students. But it's uh, it's very hard to say for us uh, how many active users we have. Even just those downloads, like maybe one person downloads it once and installs it on ten different computers, you can't even tell. Ooh, that's tricky. And so those downloads are also only the Windows and Macintosh downloads. Uh, so for Linux, we don't actually know because uh, Linux has its own distribution. And so for that, we don't know. But okay, given the fact that Windows uh, will probably be like 85% of our user base uh, and then Mac, yeah, let's say 12% or something and then Linux much, much less. So yeah, between five and 6,000 downloads, that's probably a... A good, uh, a good figure. Uh, so, how many people stick to MuseScore when they download it? We don't know. Uh, we like to know more about this. So that's probably also something that we want to figure out this year, and why people would drop out. Because that's also interesting to know. Because we, yeah, we've built MuseScore in a certain way, uh, but there is a learning curve, and uh, we uh, we need to figure out if this learning curve is currently too too steep, and how we can uh, make it less hard for people to get it going. So lots of right. things to learn. I've looked at it and compared it to some of the other notation softwares. And if you're real familiar with music notation already, there's a couple things that are different from other programs, but it's it's very learnable. So it can be done quick, but you're right. Uh, there is a little bit of learning curve. Uh, we uh, were wondering too, you guys did a really neat thing with a Kickstarter campaign for the Goldberg Variations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So indeed, I mean, the Kickstarter we did for the uh, Goldberg Creations of Bach, the main idea was uh, we wanted to make a new edition and a new recording for uh, Bach's masterpiece. Now, the, the main reason why we got started with this was while we are developing MuseScore, we kind of like to set a certain goal for ourselves, something that we can work towards to, and for instance, for the Goldberg Creations to, to typeset it, it's quite challenging. So it's a quite challenging work to, to get it done in MuseScore. So what Wenner did was he typesetted it, uh, the Goldberg Creations in MuseScore, and while he was bumping into problems, he improved the code. So that was our main reason to get it rolling. Obviously, to make a successful Kickstarter, you need a, a very good kind of slogan and communication and so forth. And so for that, we, uh, we took uh, uh, on board a, a partner from Germany as well. That's uh, Robert Douglas and his wife, uh, Kimiko Ishizaka. And she is a, a very good piano player. She actually uh, stepped forward and she said, I want to make that recording. And so uh, from there on, we kind of uh, gave the, um, the keys to this project to Robert. And he set up the Kickstarter. He made the video. And the goal he set was $15,000. Uh, to make this new edition with MuseScore and to make the recording via uh, Kimiko. In less than 20 days, we reached $20,000. So we passed our goal already with $5,000. And eventually we topped off at uh, almost $25,000. And so that was uh, a tremendous success because for us being coders, uh, normally it's simply, yeah, coding at our place and, and, and no one actually knows about it until um, the, the stuff is coming out. This was kind of a way that we could already talk about MuseScore in a, in a total different way. So we actually love to, to do uh, this project 
and it worked out quite nice because uh, a year after uh, we released the uh, the recording as well as the edition that was on in May some what, in May 2011 I think uh, or was it 2012 oh no May 2012 yeah so yeah it was um, it was a very nice project and it got featured everywhere so the press was uh, was going wild about it uh, I guess for some reason it resonated to people that we wanted to set Bach free, that was our slogan, to make an open source edition, because now there is a MuseScore file available for everyone to download and to use into MuseScore, if you want to listen to it, if you want to change it, adapt it, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, people don't have to go anymore to the store to buy it, the source code is there, you can actually have a very nice print uh, yourself from the Goldberg Creations, and there is also that recording from Kimiko, and eventually, what we also did, we also put it together in a iPad app. And this iPad app, we also released uh, so last year in May. And it's a free app. Uh, so what you see is the sheet music that you can look at. And in the meantime, you can see it progressing along with the recording. And it's, uh, it's a very neat way to actually get a bit more insight in, in the piece you're listening at. So you see the sheet music, you see how it's evolving. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 quite nice for education purposes, and people loved it. So uh, so we, overall, we were very happy with this uh, with this project. Well, it's something that I know I really believe in, and that's I remember as a music major, I got so angry every time I had to go buy a piece of classical public domain music, and buying an edition of it cost me twenty five or thirty dollars. And I, I couldn't believe how much I was paying in sheet music from composers that had been dead for two hundred years. So this is uh, this is beautiful what you've done here. Have there been some other projects spring up from that? Have other people been inspired to do a lot of transcribing of classical works? Because I've noticed a few available through the MuseScore community. But anything you can think of? Uh, yes. So we we saw uh, some initiatives from the Lillipant uh, community uh, who wanted to do something similar. I don't know, however, uh, if there were any successful projects. I assume there are, so uh, go ahead on, and look on Kickstarter. Um, but um, I can say, so with MuseScore, uh, we uh, we didn't do a follow-up yet, but it might be very soon, and, and maybe this is something that Robert should talk uh, a bit more about, because uh, I know he wants to do something with the Veldtempel Klavier, so a similar project, also recording and in addition, but how we are going to present it uh, via Kickstarter, we don't know yet. Uh, so we're still looking for a new angle. But eventually it, it all comes back a, a bit on why we got started with MuseCore in the first place. So uh, yeah, thinking about Wikipedia, now we have a lot of MuseCore users. The, the main challenge here would be how can we channel all this energy that we have now? So all those people using MuseCore and ask them to digitize all the public domain sheet music. That's a project that is in our mind already quite some time now. And it's something that we uh, want to make happen. Um, and we've talked with a, a few people within the MuseCore community. And they want to do something similar as well. So it seems that we have the critical mass of people who want to see this happen. It's just uh, a matter of finding the time and resources uh, to put it all together. And what eventually might happen is that the sheet music you might uh, get right now on uh, MSLP, um, so that the uh, library where people are uploading uh, public domain sheet music in PDF format, that that will eventually be digitized from PDF to a MuseScore format. 
And that would be tremendous because then people will have a real digital sheet music, uh, which they can adapt, which can transpose if needed. They can take parts, parts out and so forth and so forth. Stuff that wasn't possible before. And that would be, that would be something that we would love to, uh, to work on potentially started this year and see how far it goes. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much amazing. Let me ask you just one more question about MuseScore, and then we'll start to bring things to a close. Uh, so do you have new plans for the graphic user interface? This is one of the things that I've said about MuseScore, and I wonder if it's one of the things that makes it hard for some users to catch on, is that it, it kind of looks like 1995 a little bit. No, no, it doesn't kind of look. It it, it looks like 95. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you don't hurt my feelings by saying so, because this is something that I really want to work on uh, for 2.0. And that's something, that's a part where open source software has always been kind of struggling with. I'm looking at Audacity right now uh, as I'm recording this, thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm, indeed. And that's always been a, a very big challenge for open source software, to make something that is looking very good, that is also very user-friendly, uh, that a uh, very good experience. And uh, yeah, the, the main reason why open source software always struggles with that is that while you may find coders to help you out, it's much less easy to find out, to find designers who can help you out. And that's one of the things that we want to tackle uh, also with, with the company that we have set up. So we can uh, get some resources to uh, improve MuseScore on sites where the open source development is not is lacking, is not working on. And uh, and that's definitely one of the parts. So for MuseCode 2.0, if all goes well, you may expect something that looks much better and hopefully it will look like 2014 <laughs> instead of 95. <laughs> all right, that sounds good to me. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, it's one of the things that I have um, uh, very close at heart and that I want to work on. Uh, because, uh, yeah, definitely it's one of the things why people might just switch to another software package just by looking at MuseScore and say, oh, crap, uh, it, it looks like very old-fashioned. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's true, because it's, it's a very powerful program. You can create some amazing music, but I, I would imagine that uh, it scares my kids. When I show it to kids, they get worried really quick. It's good that you're saying it again, because uh, perhaps some, some designer is listening and... Uh, feel free to contact me directly because uh, this is something that I want to get going. <laughs> oh, yeah. Perfect. Um, well, you know, I, I don't feel like I should ask you any more questions. We've taken so much of your time. But we can't thank you enough for talking with us today. Well, uh, I'm very glad that uh, I was able to yeah, say a few things that are on my mind and uh, to help spread further MuseScore and so forth. So uh, thank you guys for doing that. No problem at all. Well, well hold on. One thing. Uh, we're, we're having a microphone issue. We'll fix it real quick here. Yeah, what's up, Gannon? Hey, what is your native language? My native language is Dutch. Dutch. So oh, Dutch. Dutch at first and French and then a bit of German and English. Oh, wow. There's a lot there. Um, so could you say you guys keep practicing in Dutch? Sure. Kirils blijf oefenen. Gesundheit. Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> perfect. All right. Well, hey, thank you again. And, uh, and as he said, you guys keep practicing. <laughs>